Well, hey, everybody, welcome. Good to be back. We were gone last week at the Grand Canyon. Uh, definitely a bucket list sort of place. And we uh, went to the Vineyard National Conference. It was wonderful. So, um, yeah, so it's good to see your smiling, shining faces on this dreary morning. Um, well, if you don't know me, I'm Ryan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I get the privilege of sharing this morning. And um, it's just cool. One of the things at the conference we, um, just really talked about a lot was, uh, was just about uh, loving the poor, loving the outcasts, loving those that have no one else to care for them. And so it's very pertinent to our series called Stop for the One. And we are in week five, and this week we're talking about the ignored. Last week, Last week, the founding pastor of this church, Barry Long, shared about the incarcerated and talked about how that's all kinds of forms, whether it's in our own lives, like we all, some of us can live in prisons of our own making, or maybe from abuse or trauma, or maybe we've been in prison, or maybe when we come out of prison, that life is just as hard or if not worse than it was in prison because we lose structure and we lose hope and we can't get jobs. So I thought he did a great job last week sharing, and um, what I want to talk to you today is about another group of people, the ignored. And um, I want to talk about from the point of rescue, because everyone loves a good rescue story, don't they? I mean, uh, do you remember uh, several years ago when little baby Jessica fell in the well, and people, like, you couldn't stop tuning in to see if they were going to get this little girl out of there? Or maybe, like, the miners in West Virginia who got trapped a few years back. It's like every day checking, like, are they getting the guys out? Are they going to make it? Or maybe it's, you're like a superhero nerd like I am. It's like the Avengers or some DC movie or Smallville, the show, or maybe Taken or also Live. Like we love movies and we love stories of rescue because I think there's something in our heart, just as people, knowing rescue is essential. Because I think all of us face pivotal moments in our lives where we just know we don't have what it takes or we need uh, more help than what we can actually uh, offer on our own. And so as we're talking about stop, stop for the one, like about the ignored, two people groups we're going to cover today um, are people that are really in need of rescue. And it's some of the most helpless in our society. It's some of the most broken. And a lot of times that's where that emanates from, is the people who are the most broken need the most help. And that's why Jesus calls us to stop for him. And, and, and it's interesting, and we've shared a couple times, that really the litmus test of our faith is going to be a couple things. One, did we say yeah to Jesus? And two, he said, if you said yes to me, you carry on like I did. And Jesus loved the underdog. Jesus loved those who couldn't stand up for themselves. Jesus loved those who were at their wits end and had no hope or no help. And um, actually, you're going to get a three-headed monster today. So um, I'm going to share a part. My beautiful wife, Carla, is going to share a part. And my lovely friend, Amy Grizovic, is going to share the last part. Carla and I are going to talk about orphans and foster care, something very dear to us. And Amy's going to uh, share, like, in the last part, like, of widows. So today, we're going to talk about orphans and widows. There's a resounding theme in the Bible over and over again where God commands his people to care for orphans and widows. And actually goes as far as saying um, in, in the book of James, chapter one, verse 27, the Lord's brother says this. He says, pure and undefiled religion is this, to look after the orphan and the widow in their distress and to keep oneself from becoming polluted by the world. He says, 
the, the purity, the baseline of what we believe is, is that we care for the least of these. We care for those in need. And he says to care for orphans and widows. And now we live in a different world than, than they had in biblical times. We don't have maybe necessarily as many children whose parents die uh, when they're really young or die in childbirth. That still happens, but not with the frequency back then when about one in three um, you know, children died within the first couple of years and about one in four or five mothers died like in childbirth. So we have a different world now. So we don't have the same kind of orphans exactly. We have some of them, but we also have a lot of other orphans in our society of kids who either's parents didn't want them or couldn't keep them or had their children taken from them. And two of the prominent images that run through scripture is one that depicts, interestingly, two images in the scripture are one is God as father and God as husband. And so it's, it doesn't, it's not like a coincidence that he tells us to care for the orphan and the widow. Because if he's a good dad, he wants his kids taken care of. If he's a good husband, he wants his wife taken care of. Even if, if you were going to die, you would want your spouse hopefully taken care of after you're gone, right? Or you'd want your kids taken care of after you're gone. In Ephesians chapter 1, it's even interesting that God relates our association with him through the lens of adoption. It says in verse five, chapter one, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So God says we were illegitimate kids because we broke the covenant. We were children of sin and we, of the first Adam, we were the, we were the wayward ones. And then they says how we gain access into his family is by him adopting us as sons and daughters. And um, like a really good book a friend of ours recommended to us, actually um, her husband's on, on uh, staff here and she recommended to us, Nikki Rourke. She said um, in this book, Reframing Foster Care, Jason Johnson says this, if our adoption into God's family is at the core of the gospel, then the gospel is certainly at the core of our calling to care for vulnerable kids in our world who need loving, safe, and permanent families to call their own. Why would we care for the orphaned and vulnerable children? We do them, why would we care for them by welcoming them into our families? Because that is what Christ has done for us. The gospel is nothing if not the capacity of Jesus to bring breathtaking beauty out of tragic brokenness. We do this, we forgive because he forgave us. We love because he first loved us. We care for the broken and the have-nots because we were all broken and didn't have as much as we thought. And he crashed into our existence and said, I want to serve you, I want to love you. We serve because Jesus served. And in this world, we're like him. In foster care, if you don't know what it is, foster care is um, one of the best means of caring for orphan children, either children that are permanently without parents. Some kids go into foster care. Like when I was a kid, I went into foster care um, just because my parents were in a really bad place and they couldn't care for us. Some kids are taken from their parents. Other kids are just left on the doorstep of the agency or parents die and whoever, their caregiver or whatever, can't help them out anymore. 
So foster care is a system run by the government where minors are put in the custody of the state and placed with foster parents to care for their daily needs. Um, and we have more foster children than ever in a modern society, um, largely in part because we're a consumer-driven culture that cares more about pleasure than anything. And a lot of these pleasures rope people into lots of sin and decisions they never um, could have imagined like the consequences of. So with the drug epidemic that we have, with the opiates, there are so many children in foster care just because their parents are hooked on opiates. And most kids whose parents are hooked on opiates are, are also engaging in prostitution or are also engaging in theft. They're also engage, engaging in robbery because they're so addicted to the drugs, they'll do whatever it takes to get their next fix. And so they never wanted to be in this place. They never thought they'd be a prostitute or a robber or soliciting prostitutes. Or they never thought they'd be doing this thing, but they, they do it. And some people even sell their children to get money for drugs. And rightly so, the authorities take these children. I have some cousins. Uncle had a heroin, heroin addiction. They got pulled over. 3.30 in the morning, little girl's up, and they've got drugs, and she's taken and put into custody. This happens all the time. Staggeringly, there's about 425,000 to 450,000 children in foster care right now in the United States. Staying an average of two years each. Brokenness festers amongst foster children, and 114,000 of these kids are ready for adoption. So about one in three to one in four, depending on which statistic you read, are ready for adoption or will get adopted. Every two minutes, a kid goes into foster care. But ironically, there's 500,000 evangelical churches in the United States and about 450,000 kids in foster care. What if each church just took one kid? And now, one thing I love that I, that I look around here and know some of you and some of your stories, we have a lot more than one kid in this church. We have several of you that have adopted and fostered, and it's beautiful. And this is the kingdom. This is what the kingdom's like. And so I just want to I just want to applaud you. And, and if you're doing it, um, it's 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 really it's hard. It takes a lot. It costs a lot. You have to give everything. And sometimes you get very little. I've heard some people say, well, don't you get paid from foster care? If you break it down, it's like less than a dollar an hour what foster cares get, parents get paid. And that basically just covers what the kids need for services and food and that sort of thing. So you don't really, you just get what you give out of it. And if you give love, that's what you hopefully get back. Um, uh, Joyce Meyer says this. She says, if only one family from each church took just one child, then this issue would be wiped out. We need to do something about this. We can make a difference if we will refuse to do nothing. What if we had a vision as a church, say in the next year, next five years, we're gonna adopt 50 to 100 kids or we're gonna foster 50 to 100 kids. Like what if, what, what if we just said, hey, hey, I'm in. Jesus, like, I'm in. If I got one, give me another one. If I haven't done it yet, Lord, maybe you're calling me to it. Because it says that the litmus, part of the litmus test is, listen, I'm gonna tell you this, and this might be a hard word, but it says it in there. So I'm, I'm comfortable saying it. It is all of our responsibility to care for orphans and widows. End of story. If you wonder, if you're called to do it, he says, pure and undefiled religion is this. 
And he says, those who lend to the poor lend to God. And now, maybe you can't adopt, maybe you can't foster, but guess what? You can pray your butt off for people that are. You can serve them. You can get uh, registered as a respite caregiver. You can do all kinds of things, and we can get more into this, but everyone can play a part. Maybe you have lots of money, and you're older, and you say, hey, but I heard you're adopting. Adoption's really expensive. Maybe you sponsor someone. Maybe you help someone with money. Maybe you help with fundraisers, clothing, whatever. It's endless. But a lot of churches, 45% of churches, according to Lifeway, are saying nothing about this. Saying nothing about this. And a lot of people don't know. We're gonna talk about, we're talking about all this stuff because it's, it's essential that we're like Jesus. It's essential that as Christians, we are little Christs. I love this quote. It says, you were born with the ability to change someone's life. Don't ever waste it. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm chapter 68, verse five and six says this. It says, God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. He says, in his holy dwelling, that's who he is. God sets the lonely in families. Think about that. I love that part of the verse. God sets the lonely in families. Our lives are meant to say, come on in. Our lives are meant to say to people that don't have families or people that, know, that everyone else has forgotten about or people that don't have anyone to take care of them. Our lives are meant to say, come on in because that's what Jesus is like. He sets the lonely in, our, in families. Friends, he wants to set them in our families. Now, we all can't help everyone. We can't help everyone. There's this great little story about this kid who's on the beach, and then the tide washed up a bunch of things, and this little kid's out there just chucking starfish back in the ocean. And the old man on the beach says, what are you doing? He's like, I'm throwing these back in. He's like, well, you can't save all of them. And he picks one up. He says, I can save this one. Picks another one up. I can save this one. And it's like that Schindler's List thing that we watched a couple weeks ago. Like, there's one more. We all have a responsibility to do this. And it's a privilege as well. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to serve children. It's a privilege to serve widows. It's a privilege to serve people in need because the world exploits these people. The world exploits these people. But we get to give them something that um, they never would have got maybe if we didn't step in. So I'm gonna let my wife come on up because my wife is way easier to look at than I am. And she is amazing. And, um, you know, she honestly is, yeah, let's hear from Carla Snow. And she's honestly, um, she's going to share some of our story. And she's a huge impetus even behind how God's uh, changed my heart with all this. Hello. Is this on? <clears throat> so I'm just going to share a little bit of our story um, for, for me, it started a very long time ago when I was very, very young. I just really felt that call from Jesus, and the Lord put orphans on my heart at a very young age. 
um, growing up in our house, we always had <laughs> we always had somebody extra at our table. We always had somebody extra that lived with us. Um, we were always helping someone get on their feet, and I think that's probably where that began. <laughs> um, if you know my mom, you know <laughs> that's how she is. Um, but the Lord really gave me a heart for children, even when I was still a child. I think back about that. Um, but it, it never went away. And when Ryan and I met, he was very, um, he was on the same page with me. We talked about adoption all the time before we were married. And, um, and when we were first married, I began to talk about fostering and how the Lord had put that on my heart and how, you know, I felt like we were ready to do that. And, um, and I hit a brick wall he was not on the same page as me. And he had been, he shared a few times that he's been in foster care and um, it was a very just painful, horrible experience for him and he would not have it. Um, I was shocked. Um, fostering was something that I had been like anticipating pretty much my whole life. You know, we were, we were very young when we got married, but I just, I felt called to it. I felt the Lord put that on my heart. He's, it's something he's commanded us to do. And, um, but because of, you know, pain and past experience, Ryan couldn't do it. So um, I just began to pray. <laughs> and I prayed for a very long time for that. I prayed for about 17 years into our marriage. We've been married almost 22 years. And um, I, just, I just had to get on my knees before the Lord for that for a very long time. And um, about 17 years into that, we were beginning our road to adoption. We were doing an international adoption. We actually were about a year in the process. It's a very long process. I know some of you have done that. Um, and it was totally disrupted. Like, end of story, it was over. We couldn't move forward. And so that was very devastating as well. Um, and then, you know, shortly after that came to an end, I just... I felt the urge to bring up fostering again after 17 years of trying to stay quiet to a call that I know the Lord put on my heart. And uh, the timing was better. The timing was right. We were both devastated from the adoption that didn't work out. And, um, and I brought it up to Ryan and... I just, I had been praying for the Lord to change his mind for 17 years, and the Lord did more than that. He, he healed his heart. <laughs> he healed his heart, and, um, and he was on board. <laughs> so um, we started down the road of uh, becoming certified foster parents. I, we were told by our agency in Ohio, it's a little bit different, but you go through an agency, we were told our by our agency, we had done it the fastest that anybody had ever <laughs> had ever seen, and I thought, yeah, I've been waiting 17 years for this. So um, anyway, <laughs> um, shortly after we were certified, 
um, we got our first placement. And I mean, within weeks, um, it is, it, it's such a hard, it's a messy thing to do. Um, fostering is, it's filled with trauma, but the Lord called us to do that. And I just think if, um, if he hadn't put that burden on my heart as a child, if I hadn't prayed for my husband for years, we, you know, we, we might have missed what he had for us. And our very first placement is, was our youngest daughter. She ended up staying in our home. Um, yeah. She was our first foster placement, and she never left. And I just, uh, I can't imagine, you know, our lives without her. Um, so, but not every foster situation ends in adoption. I mean, these children are placed in our homes um, on a temporary basis in the beginning. It is all, you know, it is, the goal is always reunification in the beginning. You want the family, you root for the family. You want them to come through. You want them to get their act together. You want them to do what they're supposed to do in order to get their children back. And, um, but it, it doesn't always end like that, you know, but they're, they're, they're placed in our care for a reason and for a point in time. And we're just called to love on them and to care for them as you would your own children. We're called to do that in place of their parents. You know, it's like standing in the gap for their parents and be who they need, um, I, Jesus says in Luke 9, 48, that anyone who, who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. This isn't really a suggestion. <laughs> he's, he's letting us know if we want to see him, we see it through these little kids. And... Um, you know, not every church will take up these orders. Not every church will follow through with what Jesus is asking of us. But like Ryan said, I look around the room and I see that we're already doing something. We have people who have adopted. We have people who are fostering. We have people who are in the system, social workers, um, counselors. We have people advocating for these kids. And I love that. It's amazing. It's a blessing to see. Uh, but I know we can do more. I know we can. Um, I know, you know, for some of you, you, fostering may not even be an option. But there's other things you can do. Like Ryan said, there's respite. You can be certified to respite. And that is just a short term, like an emergency situation. Maybe before a child is placed in a foster home, they go to a respite. And they might be, they, I think legally it's under 14 days. Um, you know, that's, that's something you can do. You know, um, when, we, when we grow our families in the church and we have our own biological children, we, we bless families with a meal. I want us to do that for the foster families, you know? When somebody gets a new placement, bring them a meal. Drop off diapers. Do what you can do to stand in the gap and answer the call that Jesus has for us. We want to be, be a church who answers this call of compassion. Jesus is calling us on this 
just journey to be compassionate to the least of these. And I just want to be a part of a church that stops for the one. I thank you, honey. That was that was amazing. And um, before we segue in the next part, just you know, and something to think about. Like, I just encourage you as a church. Like, the more we get into this, this is messy. Like, every one of these kids is traumatized. Even if they're a baby, they their parents just there, there's something in us that knows. There's there's rejection. There's pain. Whatever. But kids that come and they come to our church, I encourage you to be gentle with them. Don't be off put by them. When, there's, when you see little kids running around or you see people with different color kids or whatever, just don't, I don't know. That's, that's something that, that should be far behind us, but there's still some people that struggle with that. Like, it's the 21st century, and it's the kingdom of heaven, even more than the century that we're in. Don't, don't get freaked out that people have different colored kids. Don't get freaked out that these kids are really bad. It doesn't mean that the foster parents are losers. It means that these kids, a lot of them come into foster care and they've never had a rule. They've never had a bedtime. They never had to go to school. They were never given anything but like Cheetos and gummy worms. Seriously. Their parents live at a gas station kind of nutrition. And so like when you see these kids, if they act a little crazy or they're different, like part of the way you can love and you can serve them is to be supportive of the family, to not shy away, to not uh, reject them, or to not like, you know, be critical, or talk bad about them behind their backs. It's to pray. Because this, this is what the kingdom's like. Um, and so, but, um, yeah, it's exciting that, um, it's exciting that walking into this church that people are already doing it on a lot of levels. But there's so many more kids, it's just like, Lord, we gotta find another gear. We got to find another gear. Um, and so I want to share, I want to let one of my friends come on up now, Amy Grizovic. I want Amy to come up. Let's hear it for Amy. <laughs> Amy, if you haven't got a chance to meet her, do so. She is a, just a saint of a woman, and she's got a real... Um, just incredible story to tell about this and a lot of practical help for us. So I'm going to turn it over to her. Any further ado. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to pray again real quick. Here. Father, thank you for rescuing all of us. We would truly be lost without you, Lord. And I ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and give me the words that you desire to be spoken this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. My mother, when I was growing up, she would always, if you were in a crowd or in a room full of people, she would be the one talking in the corner with an older lady or older gentleman, listening to their whole life story. And that's a, a big memory I have of my mom, is that she was just always listening to people and their story. And um, I didn't realize how much of that influenced my life until I found myself with 
a little two-year-old Ethan and um, Eva in my womb. And there was a, a lady down the road that I knew. Her name was Betty. She was a dear woman. And I met her when I was lifeguarding at the swim club, the local swim club, and somehow we just formed a, a friendship. And she really enjoyed going to Biggs. Do you guys remember Biggs, the grocery store? <laughs> so I'd load her up in the pilot and go out to Biggs, and, or I'd just take Ethan to go play in her living room. Um, she had lost her husband, I think, about 15 years, 10 or 15 years, and just spending that time with her was one of the sweetest memories I have of living in, in that neighborhood. Um, and little did I know that that would, uh, little did I know that I would come to understand the depth of that time spent with her later on. Um, I became widowed at the age of 35, um, very unexpectedly and suddenly in 2019. My husband, Carl, and two of my girls, Eva and Abigail, they were camping in our barn, and um, that night the barn caught on fire. And my friends felt about as speechless as you may feel right now. In Job chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, or 11 through 13, it says, When Job's three friends heard of all the evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Beldad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads, on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. What do we do? What do we do in these situations? I can only tell you what the Lord did for me. There's no manual for things like this, whether a loss, no matter what kind of loss, you know, whether it's a spouse, a child, mother, father, grandparent, friend. Each person's grief is as unique as the person experiencing it. And what blessed my soul might trouble another person's soul, or what blessed my soul one day might trouble my soul the next day. It's hard to know, right? It's hard to know when we see a friend experiencing grief. Uh, but I will tell you, nothing ministers to the soul more like presence. And as Job's friends spent seven days and seven nights with him, sitting quietly, not saying a word, are we willing to do that for one another? Sometimes the most uncomfortable thing for us is to say nothing at all, right? 
we get uncomfortable. It's hard, it's hard to feel something that isn't normal or natural. Death and grief and pain, they are not normal. We were never made for this. But here we are on this earth, walking broken roads at times and experiencing these kinds of pains and losses. What do we do? I wish that time could allow for me to share every single detail of the beautiful body of Christ that swarmed us during this painful season. And without each and every single one, I know I would not be standing here today. I believe that God graced our friends and family in such a special way and a powerful way. And I think the thing that sticks out the very most to me is that they embraced risk. When all of this happened, I spoke to two of Carl's beloved friends and I said, we're gonna mess something up. I know it. We don't know what we're doing. You don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And we're gonna mess something up. And they said, yeah. Yeah, we are. But they never left my side. They both agreed and they still stuck with me nearly every single day for a very long time. For this season to work, it took hearts that said yes to it all. The painful, the awkward, the unknown, the exhausting, the frustrating, the wearisome, the perplexing moments and tasks, all while knowing they might not get something right. And it also required a humility and a grace like I've never quite experienced before to agree to all of it and receive the blessing of it, knowing they might mess something up. About a month after the service, before flying back to India, a dear friend of mine, he gathered our friends together in the living room of the Liskey household. And Elliot said, guys, Amy is only a few steps away from a deep and dark depression. And we are her friends and we need to see to it that this does not happen. I have never felt more rescued in my entire life on this earth than I have through the people that gave up their very lives for me. Practically, what did this look like? This was godly men, safe men, sticking around, being my brothers in the Lord. This was precious friends opening their home to me and my family. This was many church bodies stepping in to serve in their unique giftings, whether they provided food or took care of my farm animals. I had a whole, we had a whole farm full of animals that needed taken care of. And they came every day, let the chickens out, let the chickens in, feed the animals, keep the water from freezing. Repairing fences. This was friends sitting in silence with me for hours. It felt like hours. Just being present 
a present comfort in time of need. Who does that sound like? They were Jesus to me. Honestly, they were and still are. And they would sit often until my eyes droop close and sleep. This was friends taking over the logistics of finances and arrangements and burial plots and food and all the details that come with a service and the immediate legal necessities. There were friends and family watching my children for endless hours of overnights while I grieved. It's hard to grieve with young kids in the room. Um, The very day of the burial, I put my little ones to sleep and they were arguing about who got to turn the light switch off at night. Okay, (laughs) this is real life. Okay, but having friends come in and say, I, I got the kid, I didn't have to worry about where they were, if they were being taken care of so that I could grieve. And so this group of friends that Elliot gathered together, he made a calendar and he, he gathered some women and said, every day from 3 to 8 p.m., I want someone to come and take care of the kids, feed them dinner, get them ready for bed. And every day for over a month, there was a woman in that house taking care of my children because by three o'clock I was done. I was completely wiped out. This also included nightly phone calls so that I could just decompress, talk about, talk about my day, what happened, what didn't happen, or just cry. Or sometimes they would even just talk me to sleep because I couldn't get to sleep. I lived with Otto and Jody Liskey for about five months. And then in the midst of just not knowing what to do really or where to go, all the while I didn't realize what was going on. Yes, I was living in their home and they were uh, just providing what we needed, but so much more than that. Uh, Jody's not one to coddle but she's always there if I needed help. And when I decided that I was ready to move into my own home with my family, I bought a house in Florence. And when I moved out, I realized what she had done that entire time. She'd prepared me for independence because I was operating in the same way in my own home that I operated in her home. What day was laundry day or getting the kids dinner or cleaning up after their messes. I had to relearn, really, how to, how to function as an only parent. And she provided a very safe and loving place for that to occur, for, that, for me to learn that. I got my own house in spring of 2020. We closed a week before quarantine happened. And the thought of Even sleeping in a house on my own with my kids was frightening. So a sweet family up the road, the Morgans, they said, well, why don't you sleep here at night and then during the day you can go to your house and unpack. And I think we did that for about two weeks. Just offering that that buffer of safety, right? You know, often when our kids, they want to, They want help with something. You know, kids ask for help or they need help. We help them until they say what? 
I can do it. We help our kids until they say, I can do it, I can do it. And I experienced that in my 30s of receiving help until I could say, I can do it, I can do it. So quarantine was a uh, season of, of sleep and lots of movies. Um, just to rest, just to recover from all that had happened. I was so tired, oh so tired, and also very tired of asking for help. And a friend of mine, uh, she and her husband, they said, we know how hard it is to ask for help, so we're just gonna say this now. You just give us the list. You text us the handyman list, and we're just gonna do it. We're all gonna understand that you don't wanna ask for help, but you need it. And so then I would just text her husband, hey, can you bring a hammer for this or a drill for that or fix this, do that. And just having that freedom of, okay, the pressure of just asking is a little bit relieved there. Um, it was truly a blessing. And even still to this day, I wish I could stand here and tell you that I'm a fully functioning human who can independently do everything I need all on my own. Nope. I still have to ask for help, a lot of it. I am still dependent, but I have never felt so honored to be dependent upon the ones that God has blessed with such fierce hearts to serve and love, which sounds a little backwards, right? But I cannot express to you how thankful I am for the body of Christ who has served our family for two years solid without stop. And you know, they've taken a risk. They've risked saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. And yet some of them, it didn't even feel like it was risky. I could feel that they didn't hesitate for a minute Last words. Um, I think I think the the root of love is being willing to risk, right? Putting yourself out there, choosing to love someone, knowing that they might not receive it, or it might not be well received, or you might be um, rejected. The vulnerability of that, you know, even something like fostering or other situations, you're, you're putting your neck on the line, right? You might not be received, but you might. A good friend of mine said um, during all of this, there were some really hard decisions that I had to make. And he said, well, there is a risk of regret either way in every decision we make. You either regret doing it or you regret not doing it. Which regret are you willing to live with? Mm. And I don't think that there's anything more true than that statement about anything we do. Um, so thank you for your time. Yeah, thank God you.
Yeah, just uh, thank you. It's, uh, these things are hard. This is hard stuff. We're not talking about like going to Disneyland here, <clears throat> which is what most people just hope Jesus is an add-on that makes life more fun or nice or they get to go to heaven too. It's like, but the, the part about the kingdom that's so essential is when we love those that are down and out, when we love people on their last leg, we love people who can't care for themselves, we get to bring heaven to them. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> Friends, we do this stuff because you know there's no orphans in heaven. There's no widows in heaven. There's no, there's no addicts in heaven. There's no demon possessed in heaven. There's no mentally ill in heaven. There's no sick in heaven. So we stop for the one here because in heaven there's none of that stuff and we know that we're charged with bringing heaven to earth right now. We know that's what we're supposed to do. We know that's who we are. And at our core, we're people that want to be like Jesus. I know it. I look at you guys. I talk to you guys. I pray for you guys. I know we're a church that wants to be like Jesus. And so we all can't, we all can't do everything for someone who's widowed or someone who's elderly or maybe someone who's got like mentally ill people in their house. Like that can be imprisoning when you're taking care of maybe elderly people or you're taking care of mentally ill or you're taking care of people in foster or you're, or, or you're care, you know, whatever it is. But we can be the ears for those people. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus. We can be the ones that listen. We can be the ones that say, make a list. Because there's a lot of people that say, hey, you know, just tell me what you need and like I'll be there. It's no, or it's like praying for people. Hey, I'll pray for you. You know what disarms people is when you say, can I pray for you right now? Or say, hey, why don't you give me a list right now? Or text them after the conversation and say, I'm serious. What do you need me to do? And they might say, well, I can cook a meal. And you're like, well, I am not Betty Crocker, but like, how about a, how about a gift card? Or how about... Uh, like my mom can throw down or my wife can or whatever. And it's like, and we do those things. Or we, or, or, it's just, we, when we stop for the ones, friends, we attune our spiritual senses to look for where the Father wants to move. And we start looking for need. We start looking at the world differently. Maybe you walk up to their house and you see the screen door hanging off. And you're like, oh, I, I can fix that. Or you see that their car is like a turd on wheels. It's like, oh, I got an old van. Thinking of selling it for a couple thousand bucks, like I don't need it, I'll give it away. Or maybe you'll fix theirs, or maybe you help, you know, whatever it is, or, or like, you know, you know, they gotta work more hours now. Whatever it takes that we just meet that need. So it doesn't always mean that we just go and we adopt 500 kids or, or, or that we're foster parents, but that we do something for each of these groups regularly because that's who we are, that's how we are, that's what he's like. He puts the lonely in families. That's what our daddy is. Our daddy's got a cattle, he's got cattle on a thousand hills. He's got everything we need. But you know what? Oftentimes what his children need are his other children to emulate him. Or his other children to say, here I am Jesus, I'm a turkey, base me. Let my life fan out for your glory. I don't care what it costs me. Because it does cost a lot. You know, Chrissy's been hard. 
It's been hard at times. It's not the same thing as my other kids. You know, she's, she's wonderful, but she's been hard. Her, her mom made terrible choices. Terrible choices. Um, and she subjected her to a lot of, I mean, she came to us with broken bones. She looked like the end of a Rocky movie. It wasn't the beautiful little girl you saw up there. Like, she looked, she had fist marks on her body. She couldn't even, when I tried to brush her teeth, she just cried and cried and cried. She couldn't hardly drink. Even water hurt her mouth because she was so, someone beat the hell out of her. Beat up a one-year-old. There is nothing in me, there, there's nothing that makes, like, I, I, I felt like I just wanted to, like, go Liam Neeson, you know, on those people. Like, it, the rage, the infuriation, and, and like, I remember our kids, um, they, they were afraid a little bit of what it would do if we brought a foster kid into our house, and they saw Chrissy, and I loved it. Like, my kids' hearts, like, every one of them, like, their lips were quivering, and they're just like, we're all in. Because they saw the need, this little baby, this little baby was so broken already at the age of almost two. But like we get to be Jesus to her and the Lord put that lonely little girl in a family. He has other children, other widows, other broken people to put in your family. We're just gonna do something. We're just gonna um, ask the Holy Spirit to come and um, <clears throat> we, need, we need an impartation from the Father to, um, to do this stuff. I don't just want to like show up every week and be like, oh, that was good. Thanks, Pastor. It was, like, like, I hope some days like, you guys are like leaving here like, whoa, or a little like stirred up ready to roll, and sometimes like, oh, Lord, I didn't want to hear that. I know today this is one of those ones that like, this isn't like the fluffy stuff. I think the weather outside matches what's going on a little bit. It's just, this is hard stuff, but we, Holy Spirit, we just need you to come. We just need you to come, and we need you to release your vision, uh, your correction, your, your empathy. We need your compassion, Jesus. We need your resources. We need, we need people to help us with this, Lord. We just we ask for more than we have, God. We can't do this, Lord. I can't, I can't love, I can't love apart from you. I can't, I can't. Lord, let us not be afraid of sucking or failing or not knowing what to do or not thinking we have enough space or enough resources or enough time. Lord, would you reorient our hearts towards what is most important to you, Lord, and let us just say, yeah, we don't have to know how this turns out, but we're gonna trust you. So Father God, would you just pour your spirit out on this place? Would you let us be a place of uh, compassionate, radical, merciful zealots who give everything that we have for the sake of the cross. So friends, if you guys would, just everyone, if you stand up with me. And if you can't stand, just sit down. Stay in your seat. But I'm gonna just ask you to put your hands out. And we're just gonna kind of soak in silence for a moment. 
And I want you to specifically ask the Lord, say, Jesus, what would you have me do for these groups of people we've been talking about? How would you activate me? How would you spur me on further? Andy Stanley says this, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Our God's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Lord, would you just come, would you meet us today? Thank you for this church. Thank you for people that want to say yeah to you. Thank you that you're a God that says yeah to us when we didn't deserve it. That you stopped for the one, you stopped for us. Help us to um, love other people the way you've loved us. If, 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 is there anyone here who's just like, who's feeling uh, compelled today? Like if you just, you know, keep your eyes shut. But if you feel like bold enough to just like put your hand up, like, like man, I need some prayer. Because I was that guy, like I needed some prayer. Like I needed a heart change. Does anyone need any prayer today? Yeah, thanks. Anyone else? Yeah, keep your hand up and people around you, just look. If, if you'll just pray for them, just gently, just pray for them. And um, we're just gonna sit for another minute or two. If you gotta go get kids, go get kids. But we're just gonna sit here for a minute and just, if you could turn and pray for the brothers and sisters around you that raise your hands. If you could put your hand up again, if you're, like saying, hey, Lord, I know there's more. I know you're calling me. Just, just leave your hand up. Just leave your hand up. We got a guy up here in the front. We got someone over there. Someone could pray with him. Because we're all God's prayer team, and we, we have a prayer team, but we're all, we're all on the prayer team today. So, Do you just minister, Spirit? Minister to these people that were brave. Help us overcome fear, Lord. Meet us, Jesus. We got up on the screen. If you just want to look on your way out, if you're looking, if you're interested in foster care, these are three really good organizations that some people here can speak for. Um, just take a picture of that on your way out or um, feel free to talk to me or Carla or uh, Nikki or Steve or Amy or anyone else here. Um, would love to share with you more about our journey. So love you guys. Have a great week. Be blessed.